0: The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words. And all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is going to be week two of our informal Lenten sermon series on the covenants that God makes with his people. Last week, we talked about the Noahic, covenant, the agreement that the Lord made with Noah and his family, indeed with all of creation, when the flood waters had receded and he set his rainbow in the clouds. That was in Genesis chapter 9. Now moving forward in the text, Genesis 10 simply lists the generations descended from Noah. That's the whole chapter. And then in Genesis 11, that great human family tries to show off their greatness by banding together to build a tower to the heavens. That's the Tower of Babel. The Lord sees their pride and sin and judges them by confusing their languages and scattering them across the face of the earth. And then, pretty much out of the blue, in Genesis 12, God appears to a man named Abram. And makes a covenant with him. Now wait just a minute. You might be saying, our reading this morning, our a reading in which God makes a covenant with Abram, comes from Genesis 17, not Genesis 12. And as we'll see... The Lord makes this covenant with Abram over the course of a long section of Scripture. Our assigned reading this morning from Genesis 17 is really the recapitulation of the covenant promises. And it will be the announcement of the covenant sign, circumcision. But the covenant is originally made in Genesis 12 and then ratified in an amazing ceremony in Genesis 15. So as we consider the covenant that God makes with Abram this morning, we're going to have to go back to the beginning, Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now remember, this comes directly on the heels of God scattering a sinful people over the face of the earth. Genesis 11 ends with a list of Shem's descendants building a bridge, in a sense, from Noah to Abram from one covenant. To another, But the people, the descendants of Noah, have once again forgotten God. Their languages are confused. They are estranged from one another. Abram and his family are worshipping the pagan moon god in Ur of the Chaldeans. But then God, having started over once, covenantally speaking, after the flood, now starts over again after the scattering of humanity at the Tower of Babel. shall be blessed. Now like last week's Noahic covenant, this covenant is unconditional. The Lord Yahweh shows up to a man who has never heard of him and who has nothing in particular to commend himself, and God makes him an extravagant promise. A land will be his, a great name and family, and a legacy that will bless all the families of the earth. And how does Abram respond? This is the key of all keys. And the most important takeaway from the Abrahamic covenant. Abram believes God's promise. And that's really the only other possible side of an unconditional covenant, isn't it? One side makes promises... And the other side simply believes that those promises will be kept. The actual verse saying this comes in Genesis 15, which we'll look at in more detail in a moment. Abram is said to have believed God and that that belief was credited to him as righteousness. The importance of this cannot be overstated. This is everything. This is the good news on which our faith hangs. God chooses to treat trust in his promises as if it were indwelling righteousness. This is how Old Testament saints like Abraham and his descendants Isaac and Jacob and so on are saved. We can say that they are saved by grace through faith and we can even say that it's on account of Jesus Christ even though these men lived thousands of years before Jesus and never knew his name during their lifetimes. But they knew God and they believed his promises. Promises that would find their eventual fulfillment in Christ. And that belief was credited to them as righteousness. So moving forward, the covenant made in Genesis 12, is ratified in Genesis 15. Abram believes God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. But Abram is human. You should take great comfort in this. Abram is just like you. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abram, remember, on no account, and for no reason but his own, and makes him a promise. I will make a great nation of you. And now in Genesis 15, Abram begins to doubt. He's old. He has no heir. So God restates his promise. Look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord And he counted it to him as righteousness. There's the verse, Genesis 15, 6. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram, who is now speaking directly with Almighty God and has just had this promise, made in Genesis 12 reaffirmed, asks the most human question possible. O Lord God, he says, how am I to know that I will possess it? Your promise sounds great, God, but how can I be sure? And so God ratifies the covenant, proving to Abram that he will keep his promise. He said to Abram, bring me a heifer, a cow, three years old. A female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then skipping down a few verses. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. Okay, intense, right? But again, God is at pains to make clear that this covenant he is making with Abram is unconditional, one-sided. Ancient covenants were commonly ratified in ceremonies like this. Two parties entering into an agreement would butcher a set of animals and lay them out along either side of a path. And then the parties or sometimes only the less powerful, more subservient party would walk between the animals. If I fail to uphold the terms of this covenant, the parties were saying by this ceremonial action, may I end up like these animals. But notice here, in Genesis 15, only God, in the form of a smoking fire pot and flaming torch, passes between the animals. Abram not only doesn't participate in the ceremony, he's been put to sleep. God is here underlining the good news that it's not anything that Abram does that makes him righteous. Remember, he's not doing anything except in the first place Minding his own business in Ur, and now in the second place, sleeping. It's that Abram believes God. That's why he's called righteous. Not because of anything he's done, but because he believes that God will keep his promises. Which brings us finally to Genesis 17. And the covenant agreement that we have in our assigned text this morning. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will make you exceedingly numerous. Now, I don't know if you caught it. With your eye in the bulletin. But our reading skips over seven verses in chapter 17. We read verses 1 through 7. And then skip to verses 15 and 16 for the end of the reading. What did we miss? Well, not to put too fine a point on it. But we skipped those verses that would make the men in the congregation cross and uncross their legs in discomfort. (laughs) This is the part of the covenant... After the institution in chapter 12 and the ratification in chapter 15, this is the part of the covenant at which God introduces its sign, circumcision. Now, last week, we said that these covenantal signs, the rainbow of the Noahic covenant and the circumcision of the Abrahamic covenant point to our covenant sign with God, Holy Baptism. And that's true. But there's a difference between the Noahic and Abrahamic covenant signs, isn't there? Between the rainbow and circumcision. Both point to baptism, but in slightly different ways. One covenant marker is a sign set in the clouds by God that is intended to remind him of something. Remember, he tells Noah that when he, the Lord, sees the rainbow he'll remember his promise to never again destroy the world with a flood. It's a beautiful reminder for us too, of course, but it's fundamentally something that God does for God's benefit. Circumcision is a little different. Circumcision is something that God's people are called to do in order to remind themselves that they have been set apart for God. It's pointing to baptism was a little less direct, a little bit easier to confuse. And indeed, people did, over time, start to confuse it. Shortly after Jesus' resurrection, there was a disagreement in the early church about circumcision. You can read about it in both Acts and Galatians. Was circumcision the requirement of this covenant sign the acquiring of this covenant sign was this something that gentiles coming to faith in jesus christ had to do you can see how thinking of it like this turned circumcision into a good work in a way that a rainbow set in the clouds was immune to and no one's turning a rainbow into a work that qualifies them for salvation but people did do that with circumcision. They got confused. Isn't circumcision, they thought, something I do? Isn't it obedience? Isn't it a good work that I perform? No. In Jeremiah chapter four, that great prophet makes clear what circumcision really points to. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Remove the foreskin of your Hearts. It is your heart that really needs to be circumcised. It is your heart that needs to bear the covenant sign. It's not, thank God, so much the state of your private parts that matters. And it never really was. It's the state of your heart. What saved Abram? His faith. The fact that he made, that God made him a promise. And he believed it. That's what saves you, too. The Apostle Paul, writing in the fourth chapter of Romans, explains, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, Paul writes, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, Paul takes great pains in the rest of that section to make it clear, Abram Is circumcised after the covenant is made and after the covenant is ratified, so that it would be clear that he is not made right with God by the snipping of his flesh. He is made right with God by faith. One final thing now. So far, we've looked at the making of a covenant between Almighty God and a man who had nothing to commend himself, who didn't even know this God existed, and he certainly had no righteousness of his own. That's Genesis 12. Abram, sitting on the mountain, worshiping a pagan god. But, spoken to by God, Abraham believes. And that belief is credited to him as though it was his own righteousness. Then, in Genesis 15, we looked at the covenant ratification ceremony and saw its radically one-sided nature. God puts Abram to sleep and vows by passing between the slaughtered animals alone to uphold both sides of the covenant. That is, even if it is Abram and his descendants who fail in their obedience, it is almighty God, not them who will pay the price. And that is exactly what happens. In the original covenant, back in Genesis 12, there is a promise of blessing and redemption. I will bless those who bless you, the Lord says, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. This promise finds its fulfillment in the new covenant, in Jesus Christ. Remember the covenant ratification ceremony in Genesis 15. God makes Abram completely passive, going so far as to knock him unconscious and passes between those slaughtered animals by himself. Even if you break this covenant, he is saying, I will bear the punishment. And in Jesus, he has done just that. As we read last week in the words of Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, Isaiah writes, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, taken onto himself the iniquity of us all. We, you and I, the spiritual descendants of Abram, have indeed been unfaithful. We are sinners. We have not done those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But God remembers His covenant <clears throat> promise. He takes the wrath of That must be poured out on sin, symbolized by those animals cut in two, and takes it back onto himself. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the final fulfillment of God's covenant with Abram. We are counted righteous not by the circumcision of our flesh or by any other good work that we might do. We are those who have believed in God's promises. We're going to say the Nicene Creed here in a minute. Reaffirm your belief with us now. Or proclaim your belief for the first time. Trust God's promises. And like it was to Abraham, that belief will be credited to you as righteousness. It is actually Jesus' own faith given to you 2,000 years ago on a criminal's cross. Your salvation accomplished at the place of the skull. Your sin laid on Him. His faith given to you. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, for you who believe in God's promises made manifest in Jesus Christ, it has actually happened. A sinner like you made blameless on account of Christ's sacrifice.